The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to a Future Sox podcast. I am Dan Sanormita, hosting and filling in for Mike Rankin, joined by Future Sox senior writer. I love it when Mike gives you that title, James. James Fox is with me. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> See, we're already screwing around. Michael is a professional radio guy, and I'm like, now nah, we're just going to have some fun. So uh, we do have some news, though, because normally you guys have actually some really good interview guests, and I am not a good interview guest, but... We uh, have some news to talk about with rosters coming out soon. The minor league season is this week, finally, after, what, it's been uh, 18 months or so since, uh, maybe more than that, since minor league baseball, so it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a lot. Like, players have, like, retired since we've, you know, <laughs> since, we, since we've, like, last done this. So, yeah, this is insane. And obviously, like, we don't, we don't have rosters, and with the way the White Sox do things, like, they'll probably release them like five minutes before game time but you know i've talked to some people and i've talked to some of the players just you know i think we we have a pretty good grasp on like where the top 30 prospects are that like people actually care about and then just kind of you know we'll go through some of the affiliates and maybe some trends to you know look for this upcoming season yeah for sure and and we'll have more on uh, on futuresocks.com previews written previews uh, for each affiliate as we get the official rosters but for now, we're kind of just going off of James' uh, knowledge base, which is, you know, like you said, going to get a lot of the job done here. So I don't know. Do you want to just start off, kick it off at AAA Charlotte? Who's there? And, and what do you make of that group? Yeah. So, Char- I mean, I think Charlotte at the, you know, at the top and AAA and then Canapolis at the bottom and Loway are probably the two most interesting just as like far as like where the prospects are. You know, I had multiple people reach out to me about Charlotte. Um, just with like the aggressive assignments, just because like there was news this week, James Fegan of the athletic wrote up like a, you know, his, I I think he's doing a full on minor league preview, but he wrote just like a a shorter version. Um, and Jake Berger is headed to Charlotte. I don't know if you remember, I I feel like Jake Berger never even played at Winston. So, you know, he obviously hasn't, hasn't played a game in three years. He's healthy. You know, he looked really good when I saw him at the alternate site last year. Um, He's lost a bunch of weight. They got him playing third. So I, like, I, I think he's going to be the third baseman at Charlotte Tuesday night when they, you know, when they open things up and his, his draft mate, Gavin Sheets, I know like dabbled in the outfield a little bit. My guess is he's at first or DH, you know, but they're both in that lineup at Charlotte. Um, Luis Gonzalez. Blake Rutherford both slated to be there as well. 
on the position side. So, you know, as far as the prospects go, I think it's mostly those guys. And then, you know, your Danny Mendix sprinkled in and some of the other guys we've seen like in spring training and in the big leagues already like Nick Williams, I think Tim Beckham will be there. I mean, that's like Chris gets typically has veterans at triple a because you know, you, if you, you have an injury, you want to just like bring up a vet for a few days instead of rushing a prospect. So, you know, on the position player side, that's uh, probably what they're dealing with at Charlotte, but that's, you know, it's a, it's a good thing because that place is a launching pad and they sell out that ballpark every week or every night, I should say. Um, so it should be a pretty interesting team to follow there. Sebi Zavala is there as well, obviously. Yeah, Sebi Zavala making making his career as a third or fourth big league catcher, I guess. Technically, did, are we counting your mean as the White Sox third catcher right now? <laughs> I don't know if the White Sox are. Yeah, yeah that's true. Like, Nor should they at this point. Yeah, I mean, they won't DH grand all, so my guess is no. Like, yeah. I don't I don't think they are counting him as a catcher. Yeah, so Sebi Zavala hanging on as a third catcher for the White Sox. Which, and you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned some of those guys, and this is the roster I think we already knew the most about because it was basically the alternate site group with a couple exceptions. And then obviously there's been some movement between the White Sox and the alternate site. Uh, in the meantime, as they played a handful of games against the Cubs, alternate site group we have some stuff on the website uh, some people that caught some games so there's there's some information from that but you know there's there's still kind of scrimmages basically counting them as spring training games they're rolling over innings like we saw this spring and stuff like that so we do know a lot of that group already or we knew a lot about that group we did yeah that's the charlotte group i mean the positional side we talked about the pitching is interesting too though because you know i think i've gotten a lot of questions about Jimmy Lambert, because I think people were just like a little bit worried, people that followed him, and I was a little bit worried myself. But, you know, they just, they sent him to Arizona to re, not to, I, I don't know if it to rehab, but, you know, he's on a pretty strict innings limit too, just kind of like Kopech is as well. And I had heard that, you know, they envisioned like a similar to a Kopech role for him, like in the big leagues by midseason potentially. So it was news to me when it was announced that he's starting the opener for Charlotte on Tuesday. So that's good. I mean, they they envision him as a starting pitcher. You know, I think we've kind of ranked him as both, but he was used in the bullpen last year. So he's definitely more valuable as a starter for sure. He can't throw, you know, he probably can't throw 100 innings. So if he makes it back to the big leagues this year, it's probably in some sort of like extended relief role. But, you know, it's good that, it's good that he's starting and he's at Charlotte. And I think behind him, you know, Jonathan Stever kind of skipped Birmingham too after last year. Cause I th- I'm pretty sure he's going to be in Charlotte. Cade McClure was a six round pick in 2017 whose stuff ticked up a little bit. And we've talked about, he had some possible rule five interest this year. So he's, he's at Charlotte. Ronaldo Lopez is there too, like kind of rounding things out as well as like a whole bunch of, Veteran arms, like you said, that were at the alternate site. I'm sure Zach Birdie, Tyler Johnson will both be there too. You know, and then they have guys that are like on the comeback trail a little bit, like Ryan Burr, who I think is finally healthy and throwing too. He could just like be in the big leagues all of a sudden, right? Like it, it could just be like there's um, an injury and all of a sudden Ryan Burr is added to the roster and he's like back in the big leagues and people kind of forgot about him. So they have they have some guys like that there too. Yeah, it's it's an interesting list, and I, I'm just going through who you're naming. I think there's nine of our top 30 on that team. So it may not be the most exciting group because older prospects kind of lose the sheen a little bit, but 
and we know that the ceiling isn't maybe super high in guys like Blake Rutherford or Luis Gonzalez, for example. You know, and there's a couple of relievers and yada yada. But yeah, it looks like there's a whole bunch of top 30 prospects. That should actually be an interesting team. Uh, I yeah. do want to talk more about Jake Berger, though. Like, what do you think about that assignment? Yeah, so I'm actually, I'm okay with it. And like, I had people that do, you know, stuff similar to what we do, like White Sox blogger types that were like, you know, sent me text messages that were like, what? Like, really? Like, they're going to send him to Charlotte? And I just think it's as simple as like, he's on the 40 man, you know, he might be a trade piece. Like it might just be to, you know, he's playing third, like third's kind of locked up. First is kind of locked up. So I think like, they just like think that he's mature enough to handle it. So I think that's just like why they're sending him there. I think they're just, they just decided like send him to Charlotte. It's a ballpark that should be advantageous for him. Um, the rest of the league is as well. It's a lot. Of, it's like a hitter friendly league, you know, whereas like if you sent him to Birmingham, I don't know, man, that's a pretty tough assignment. Like after missing three baseball seasons, like going, it's not the Southern league anymore. So I don't know what I'm going to say, but you know, like sending him to that league with those huge ballparks and like the best pitching probably isn't ideal. So like, I understand like skipping him a level or two. We'll see. Like I, we're, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to find out, right? Like we're going to find out how important it actually was that these guys do like a year at each level, right? There, there are all these like built in like rules that a lot of people thought like were necessary for prospects. And I feel like all that stuff's out the window now, especially after like, you know, Andrew Vaughn and he's, you know, a higher caliber prospect, obviously, but you know, he didn't play above a ball and he was at an alt site last year getting one-on-one -on -one instruction. And now he's kind of holding his own in the majors. So, you know, maybe we didn't know anything before. Everything's weird. So we'll start there. But I think with Berger, it's, it's almost like a sink or swim. Like with Vaughn, it was, they evaluated him. They, they liked him a lot. They saw him at the alternate site. He was always going to be a fast mover and he's proving to be a competent major league right away, which is great. But I think with Berger, it's kind of like, you know, it's now or never, dude. Like, I know you had the injuries, but if it doesn't happen in the next year or two, it probably isn't going to happen. So get up to speed fast, you know, and obviously he had like, I think the alt site last year was a good kind of easing him back in where it's a nice, you know, a nicer, calmer atmosphere, but it's still like really good pitching that he saw much better than he'd ever seen when he reached Kannapolis for like 40 games in his, his draft year. So they're they're going to be patient with him in some way. They're not going to like, oh, he's hitting a hundred after a month, and they're not going to like bail on him or send him down to Double A. I, I think they'll probably be understanding of, you know, it might be a weird adjustment period, but you know, they're going to give him a chance to prove himself. Yeah, and I wonder if they like, and I don't know how much this will matter, right? But now that they kind of like run the affiliates. Like I want, like they know that Charlotte is what it is. Like Charlotte's one of the highest grossing like minor league teams that there is. Like that ballpark's always sold out. Like it's a, you know, Charlotte's like one of the rumored destinations for a big league team at some point because they draw so well. Like I wonder if there's any part of like the White Sox now that are just like, well, send our best guys there because you know it'll be like the most fanfare and stuff too. So, like we'll see. That should be. You know, that's a fun team. Like, if you live down in Charlotte, you know, like, I don't know how good necessarily they'll be because other, you know, it's still the Durham Bulls and that's the Rays and there's still a whole bunch of other, like, good affiliates there, you know. But you should have, 
you know, somebody that you've heard of pitching every night down there. And then you got guys in the lineup that, you know, that we talked about and, you know, some former major league veterans that are there too. So that, that's kind of a fun baseball team. Yeah, definitely. And, and honestly, the Charlotte Knights had a really good 2019 team. Like when Luis Robert got there and they had Madrigal and they had Yermin Mercedes for a while, that lineup by the end of the year was actually a lot of fun to watch. And, I, and they almost made the playoffs. I think they, they lost out on the playoffs in like the last weekend of the season or something, not even in the last day. So that was like a fun team already. So now they have another chance at that. So yeah, that could be a, an interesting squad to follow. I mean, I think, you know, Charlotte is, I'm curious to see, you know, there, there's like a lot of relievers that are like close to big league ready and like, where do they send all of these players? Right. Because they, they just have like so many guys and we don't have official rosters, obviously. So, you know, I'm just kind of curious to see who they put where, I mean, you, you mentioned sinking or swimming, like that's, that's going to be like a common theme. I feel like on this podcast, because once we get down to like Winston Salem and some of those places, like there, there are some guys with, you know, pretty tough assignments, but there's not really much the White Sox can do about it at this point. Yeah. And, and I guess we'll get into this more, but that was what Kevin Goldstein said in the show last week. Right. So, you know, everybody's in the same boat. So the levels may end up being a little weird this year. Yeah. I think it's going to look a lot different than like what people are used to seeing traditionally, you know, so double A is, obviously it's usually like the toughest step, right? Like the biggest step, like if you can get out of double a, like you, you know, very likely, I guess have a big league future. So, you know, there's a lot of guys that we've seen Dan that, you know, go to high a and they're really, really good. And we think there's something and then they just go to double a and they kind of die and you like never hear from them again, you know? And that's, that's honestly when I knew that Luis Robert was a stud, right? Cause like he goes there, like, all of our prospects go there and it's just this slog for like 50 games. And you're hoping that like they can figure it out and like they can OPS like 700 and then he, (laughs) and then, you know, yeah. And then he went there and had like an 1100 OPS. (laughs) Like it was just like hitting baseballs off the wall when the wall's like 7,000 feet away. Like it was, it was pretty amazing. Like what, you know, and obviously the Jimenez did the same thing the year before, but I feel like it caught my attention more when Robert did it because like Robert really didn't have like the Eloy Jimenez track record, you know, before double A. Yeah, that's true. Although to be fair, that was his uh, worst step of the three that year. Yeah. He was like video game numbers and Winston and Charlotte. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's. I guess we'll see who's who's gonna be in this uh, wasteland of a of a pitcher's ballpark in Birmingham. What you got for us? In, uh, so Illinois. yeah, so apparently that's where Yuki Cespedes is going. There, there are there's some sort of visa issue according to James Fegan's piece last week. So, like, I I don't know what how long the delay is, but that's where he's going. So it's good to see that he's going stateside. But I feel like in previous years, and let me know like what you think about like I feel like he would have went to Winston like in previous seasons, like maybe you go to Winston and they want to get him some confidence and he plays a little, you know, he, he plays well and then goes to Birmingham, but you know, they have too many guys in Winston that have to play in the outfield. So I feel like he's in Birmingham because they just like, don't really have a choice. Another guy there. That's a little bit surprising possibly is Mike Rodolfo is back there again. You know, this is probably, you know, speaking of sinking or swimming, like it's probably his last year in this organization. I think, he's out of options at the end of the season. So, you know, it's a tough assignment out of the gate for him, but look, he's had 
seven years in the system, I believe. So he's either going to figure it out and then they'll be playing the, the DFA game with him where he's, you know, got to stick somewhere or he's going to clear waivers and end up just like being in somebody's minor league. So, you know, B- Birmingham is, is a weird place. There's a lot of like non prospects there. I feel like, but guys that have played a lot, like the, you know, the starting rotation is I think headlined probably by Connor Pilkington, who is a third round pick in what now 2018, I believe who's, you know, didn't really pitch as well as like his pedigree suggested. Supposedly his stuff is ticked up a bit. So we'll see like how that fares in Birmingham, but behind him, it's like Blake Battenfield and John Park and like those, you know, those type of guys who aren't really considered prospects, but they've had decent numbers in the minors. Um, You know, I think Lincoln Hensman is there. There are some guys in that bullpen, um, like Will Cannon could have possible major league future, you know, somewhere, like probably not with the White Sox, but I mean, you've seen teams just like churn through relievers. So, I mean that, you know, I feel like he could be an option somewhere, you know, and I, you know, like Tyler Johnson, I'm assuming is in Charlotte, but he could, he could be in Birmingham pitching as well. So, but it's just, you know, I think they, it's, there's just, there's not a ton of like actual prospects in Birmingham. And there's definitely not many off of like our top 30 list or anything like that. Yeah. There might be as few as two to be honest with you looking at it might just be Cespedes and uh, Adolfo. Yeah. And I think like, like we didn't rank Pilkington this year, but I mean, that's a guy that could find his way back on our list, you know? So yeah, like those three guys are probably the most interesting names that are there. And then moving on to Winston, you know, there's not a ton in Winston either. Just because, like, think about the last two draft classes for the Sox. Like, they were very, like, high school heavy after, like, the top picks. And I feel like the top picks are in the big leagues. So then after that, it's, like, all these, like, college filler picks who, like, you know, like, a lot of those guys are basically going to be forced on double A now, even if they're not ready. And a lot of them are non-prospects. The other ones are in A ball because you know, they were like 18 years old when they were drafted. So, you know, Kannapolis and, and Charlotte are definitely the two most interesting affiliates, like for sure. Yeah. I actually want to bring it back. Cause you mentioned, uh, Cespedes and his assignment to Birmingham. So the only comp that came to my mind in White Sox history, and of course it's a different, uh, set of farm directors and et cetera, but, uh, is Diane Viciato because he was, a you know, a Cuban guy, like obviously Abreu was more advanced and Moncada came from another system and, and Robert, they sent to Winston, uh, but he was a little bit younger. Viciato was actually 20 and they sent him right to Birmingham. So that's probably the closest comp and he's younger than Cespedes is. So I guess they've sort of done this before. Here's a quick note, just because we're talking about Birmingham and like what a wasteland it is for hitters. Viciato, now granted he was adjusting to, you know, American ball, yada, yada. His isolated power was 111 in Birmingham. You know, he 280, like he was otherwise competent. And then he goes to Charlotte and the majors and puts an ISO above 200 at both levels. Yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I did an, e- or an interview with Gavin Sheets last year and, he, you know, he was so excited to go to Charlotte, you know, and it wasn't just because like he was moving up the prospect ladder and like you're a, you know, you're basically like a phone call away from the big leagues. It was, you know, because he wanted to get away from Regents field and in Birmingham, like as soon as possible, you know? So it's just, it's just not an easy place to hit, especially when, 
you know, it's hard enough, like playing every day for the first time and facing other teams like best pitchers, you know, man, it's just, it's just a really, really tough place to hit. Yeah. So I, I guess we'll see how, I mean, look, it's only Adolfo and Cespedes that, you know, as far as hitters of note, for sure, that we know of. So yeah, and Adolfo is repeating the level. Cespedes, I think, will be completely fine defensively, and I think they just want him to get center field reps. So it's a good place for like it. that's probably <laughs> the most important thing. And look, I think he's probably on the fast track. I would assume anyway, right? Like I feel like if that guy has any success at all, he's going to be in Charlotte, and then he's in big league spring training next year. Which yeah. you you and I have talked about. Like it, it's probably a little bit crazy, but it definitely seems like the plan. And it seems like if you're going to pay these guys $2 million, I guess there's not that much incentive to make sure that everything works out. Right. I feel like it's okay. We're going to give you $2 million and we're going to try to get you to the big leagues as soon as possible. And maybe that's part of the reason why these guys keep coming here. So, you know, it's not like he has to play center field in the big leagues anytime soon. So, yeah. Like if we see Yoelki Cespedes in the majors this year, like I think something went terribly wrong or he's way better than anybody thinks he is. Um, yeah, he would have to but put ne- but Luis Robert numbers. Yeah, but next year, like if you sell, told me that he debuts like midseason next year, like I could see that probably. Right. Like, again, to bring it back to the Viciedo. Yeah, like he's, he's definitely the highest ranked prospect in Birmingham for sure. Winston, not really much of note. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so there, yeah. So there are some top third, like Yolbert Sanchez is in Winston along with um, Lenyon Sosa, who I don't think we ranked, but we've ranked in the past. So both of those guys are in Winston. Bryce Bush is in Winston, and then I believe one of I think Luis Mieses is there, who's a you know another former international prospect, you know that kind of just hasn't hit and has tools and you know toolsy tall lanky athletic outfielder that scouts like dream on but i mean he played i think in great falls last and now he's in winston so i mean you know this is kind of like he's either gonna produce in winston or not be a professional baseball player anymore i guess you know i mean it's just kind of the position that some of these guys are in but once we talk about the canapolis team you're gonna you're gonna find out why luis mieses is in winston because like Canapolis is loaded. So, you know, I think it's pretty much those, those type of guys on the positional side there. And then as far as the pitchers go, you know, there are some young, they took a lot of like college arms that just, you know, haven't really gotten that much of a chance to pitch. So I think like a lot of those type guys are there too, like down in Winston right now. What do you make of Bush going to to Winston? I mean, I know he probably would have been there on a normal non-pandemic 2020. Like he would have gotten there by now or maybe even at some point last year. But what do you make of it now, given he didn't get to get another shot at Yeah, so so it seems to me like the White Sox are generally promoting guys to like levels where they would have been had there been a season is what it seems like to me. And I could be wrong about that, but it just seems like they didn't like slow play this and hold all these guys back. They're just like, okay, if there were a season last year or whatever, like this is where they would, or, or they're sending guys to like where they would have sent them to last year, you know, is kind of, kind of what it seems like. So I, you know, I think he's got incredible bat speed. Like we've said, like he battled a lot of injuries in Canapolis and I think he's finally healthy. And I think like they just, 
you know, he's just in Winston because that's kind of like the next level for him. And it comes back to what we were talking about. Like, he's just going to have to prove that he can play there because there's not really room for him at the level below. So some of the pitchers that I was talking about, like there was the year, I think it was 2018, where they overslotted a bunch of college pitchers in the draft. So it was like Davis Martin, Jason Billis, Isaiah Carranza, those guys. That's pretty much the rotation in Winston. Um, I think Taylor Varnell is there too, who's a guy that you know we've talked about in the past. He's a lefty out of Oral Roberts that is, you know, kind of produced a little bit that nobody kind of really knew who he was really, but he's been pretty good in the minors. And then one of the one of the guys that's there that's on our top thirty list is Caleb Freeman. And Caleb Freeman's interesting because you know he's a right-handed reliever out of Texas Tech. I think he was a 15th rounder a couple of years ago when we had Nick Hostetler on, you know, he kind of raved about Caleb Freeman in the same manner that he talked to us about Ian Hamilton years back and then also Cody Hoyer. So, you know, like I'm not going to predict that Caleb Freeman's going to be Cody Hoyer, but you know, if he's good at Winston, he could be major league invite to spring training next year. And then all of a sudden this kid's in the big leagues, you know, after getting drafted in 2019, I believe. So, you know, I think he, he might be one of the next guys in this long line of relievers that they've kind of developed internally. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned him. Cause I was going to ask about him. He's another guy that, um, and we put him in our top 30 and, and, you know, like you said, he's going to get some love from some white Sox people and, and otherwise. So, yeah, I mean, it could be an interesting group. It's it's a mix of, like, like you're like talking about Sosa and, and Maesis. Like, these are guys that, like you said, there's a lot of sink or swim there. Gilbert Sanchez will hopefully get, like, a decent look at and see if, you know, reports were not so kind to him over the past year. We'll see if that's going to play out. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, we'll see if there's any diamonds in the rough in the pitching staff. But a lot well, so, of older guys. But I do think, so, like, this team is going to be really good defensively, though. Like, looking at like the mock-up roster that I have. So Duke Ellis is like, they signed as an undrafted free agent last year out of Texas. And like, he's, you know, he could be plus in center field. I just don't know if he'll ever hit. Like, I don't know if he's a prospect, you know, but he could definitely have like a pretty decent minor league career, I think. So like, you know, if that guy is in center or a corner, like Luis Mieses is in a corner, Bryce Bush is probably in a corner. You're going to have Yolbert Sanchez at short, and defense is like his carrying tool, you know, and then so then that probably pushes um, Sosa to second. You know, Harvin Mendoza is a guy who's been okay, but he's a first baseman, so he's going to have to hit for more power. Evan Skaug is in Winston. Luis Curbelo is still in the organization, and he's in Winston. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, they the, the guys just, like, need to play somewhere, and this is – uh where they're going to be the one, I think the other sleeper potentially on the pitching staff, I mentioned him briefly is that Isaiah Carranza. He was 13th rounder, I think in 18 out of Azusa Pacific. And he was an overslot guy. He had pitched three years at Oregon, but he was ranked like, you know, I think like 150th by MLB pipeline coming out of the draft. So that was like a guy that was interesting. He had Tommy John surgery immediately upon signing. So this will be his first year pitching. But apparently, like, his stuff is back a little bit, too. And he's, like, making his, I guess, professional debut in high A. So they, you know, they feel good enough about him to send him right to the dash instead of starting in Kannapolis. So that could be interesting, I guess. 
Sure, but I mean, you guys, again, this is, I'm going to keep saying it, but sink or swim, he's 23. Now, he, he would he have been able to pitch last year, I suppose, probably? I think so, um, yeah. Yeah, probably. So I guess he, he the injury cost him a year and a half, and then 2020 happened. So actually, he'll be 24. 24-year-old, like, you know. Gotta yeah. do it, dude. Yeah, you gotta go to. <laughs> Sorry, you gotta go to high A. There's like nothing yeah. we can do about it. No, exactly. Yeah, especially let's just segue into Canny right now. Like, read off that rotation to us. Goodness. Yeah, so the Canapolis. So I know for a fact, like Jared Kelly, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist. I mean, those guys are top ten prospects in the system. Jared Kelly is, you know, universally their best prospect. That isn't one of the four guys that's in the majors. I think right. So. You know, and then Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist always get lumped in together, obviously. Like, we just, like, talk about those guys because they were drafted the same year. But, I mean, finally going to get to see them pitch in an affiliate. Um, it seems like uh, the lefty they drafted last year, Bailey Horn, should be there too. You know, whether he's starting every fifth day or in some sort of tandem role, who knows. But, I mean, that's a guy that we ranked in our top 30. So, you know, that that's interesting. And then I think the closer down there, a guy who I heard from multiple scouts about, and, you know, one of the White Sox famous beat writers, like brought up this guy to me and kind of asked me about him. And I, I've never seen him pitch in person is McKinley Moore. You know, he was right in there with Caleb Freeman. I think he was like a 14th or 15th rounder out of Arkansas Little Rock. He throws like a hundred, you know, but it's like, Lots of strikeouts, lots of walks. I think Sean uh, Williams saw him a couple times in Arizona and said that he's electric, obviously, and huge, but, you know, he's got to throw strikes. But who knows? I mean, if he does throw strikes, then that's a guy that's, you know, probably in Birmingham before too long pitching at the back of a bullpen. So, yeah, the pitching staff down there is interesting. There's a whole bunch of arms. There's, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys that were in the DSL that could possibly be in Canapolis, too. You know, guys that we've talked about, I just like don't really know what that plan is. So I'm I'm really curious to see that roster come out, just to see how aggressive they're actually going to be. Yeah, which if if you go by what we saw in Winston Salem, the answer might be very aggressive, right? Like that seems to be the trend here is that like some of these guys in Winston who barely played in Canapolis or struggled in Canapolis, and it's kind of like all right, well. You got to do it now. And I, I mean, look, this is what Kevin Goldstein said on the show last week. That was a great point that if everybody does this, then these leagues are not the same. You know, like if high A is just the level of a few guys repeating high A and a bunch of guys who barely played low A or would have repeated low A in a normal year or skipped low A, like then it's not what high A used to be. And then a lot of those guys might be sort of fine if they're up against the same dudes from other organizations, then that's going to be fine. So that may end up being the case. And I'm, I'm excited to see the baseball America or fan graphs or prospectus or one of those, like when they look at the national, you know, here's all the affiliates and where everybody, what everybody did. And they're going to say like, well, the white Sox are pretty aggressive, but then this team over here was like crazy aggressive. And this team was like super conservative. And here's how many of those there are. And like get the real feel for, for what everyone did. I mean, we don't have enough of a, view of of other team systems to really evaluate that and obviously we don't have all the rosters yet anyway so yeah for um, sure. that's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out yeah so and anybody that's like following along that's like looking at our top 30 prospect list possibly and they're like missing a whole bunch of prospects and they're like where are these guys at they're in canapolis because i didn't talk about the position players yet so this <laughs> team 
it yeah and it's super young and it's going to be super fun and hopefully like you know for people that have milb tv like i i've heard that they should have every game now since that's one of the positives with like mlb taking over basically is that like they should have feeds for all these ballparks so if you pay for that package like you should be able to watch these games a lot of times you couldn't watch Canapolis in the past because, like, the, you know, it's low A and they just, like, don't have television feeds and nobody really cares. But when you have, like, that pitching staff, listen, this outfield in Canapolis, like, and I kind of, you know, it was kind of said by Getz that, like, Benjamin Bailey um, would would be reporting for full season. So he's there along with Chase Krogman, who we ranked this year. He was a 33rd-round high school guy that – you know, took significantly more than like the slot. It's like at 190,000 or something along those lines, I think. So, you know, both of those guys are in the outfield. Cabrera Weaver is a former high school seventh round pick. He's, he's in that outfield as well as the other guy that's kind of with Luis Mieses all the time, Anderson Comas. He's still there in Canapolis. And then they're sending James Beard there as well. That's one that like, you know, he, he's a, like poster boy, I think for like two year rookie ball guy. But like I said, like he, you know, he went to rookie ball. What was that? 2019, late 2019 after he was drafted, probably would have done 2020 there as well, but with no rookie ball and no great falls, like, you know, he finds himself in, in low a as well. So, you know, that's five outfielders, how they're going to disperse the playing time for that. I'm not really sure, but you know, in, in addition to those outfielders, you got Brian Ramos, you got DJ Gladney, you got Jose Rodriguez. That's a that's a pretty good group in Canapolis. One of the the catcher that they took is a Victor Torres out of Puerto Rico. He was like an overslot, like eleventh rounder. I believe he's down there too. So that is a really really young baseball team in Low A, but it's a lot of interesting guys to follow that are on that team. Yeah, that's. Really exciting to hear that. Now, like you said, the outfield playing time is going to be a mess. You know, even with DH, you're looking at five guys for four spots, which I guess isn't so bad, but that reminds me a lot of rookie ball where you'll see, you know, they got some sixth round college guy and a couple Dominican guys coming over to the States and, you know, some Puerto Rican 11th rounder, like you're talking about with Torres or something like there's all these guys they need to get playing time for in rookie ball. And there's like, well, we, we got 18 position players for nine spots. You're playing every other day. Like, and, and candy won't be that bad, but it's not going to be that far from that either. No. And it's kind of what happened with DJ Gladney. Like I kind of think like some scouts were like, Oh, DJ Gladney's already playing first base. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't know that he's already playing first base. It's just that Brian Ramos was playing third base and they had that, you know, Tyler Osick is a guy we didn't really mention, you know, he's not really a prospect, but he's played pretty well and he transitioned to catcher. So, you know, I wrote a piece on him a few months back, like with the transition to catcher, you know, there's a possible big league future, not so much if he had to stay at first, but I mean, I think he's in Winston, but I mean, you know, he was in rookie ball at the same time. So I'll be curious to see how they, I guess, like figure out the playing time with DJ Gladney and Ramos, who are both pretty much third basemen. Now, there were some reports that, you know, said that the White Sox were going to try Ramos at second and see if they could just, like, shift around maybe a little bit of poor defense to get, like, that bat at second base. 
Um, so we'll see there. But I mean, I you know, I don't think they want to make DJ Gladney a first baseman quite yet. Like they got to figure out if he can play third or not. So and then there's also Sam Abbott. I think he's there too. So he's, you know, the first baseman most days, or if he's DHing, that means one of those outfielders isn't. So, you know, it's just going to be fascinating to see how often some of these guys play. Cause you, you know, you want them to play all the time. You know, a, a guy went Lency Delgado, I'm assuming yeah, is, is there somewhere. I mean, he's going to play somewhere. He's going to play short or third. Jose Rodriguez will play second or short. So, you know, what is that? I don't know if you were counting. That's like, 10 prospects off of our top 30, probably maybe more than that, like at Kannapolis. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of guys at Kannapolis and then there's, you know, like Cabrera Weaver, like we've ranked before, but you know, he hasn't really hit, like he's got a little bit of power and he's got, you know, huge speed and really good defensive ability, but that was a high school pick. Like he's like not even 21, I don't think. So who, like, you know, these guys are still so young and it's like one of the benefits of finally taking this many prep players, right. Is that, stuff like this could happen and there's still like a chance. Like you, you know, you brought up Bryce Bush. Like it seems like we've been talking about Bryce Bush forever. And like, I don't even, I, he's probably 21 maybe, you know? So that's one of the many benefits of skewing younger finally. And I think they're probably still going to continue going that route. I was waiting for you to get there. I was like, do you always talk about this with high school players? And now here it is. You get to talk about it. If, if they lose a year, like a pandemic, for example, they're, well, they're only 21 and at least they've been to A-ball or something. So. Well, it's my biggest issue with like assuming that college players are safe, right? Like, look, if you're picking in the top five or the top six, I completely understand giving Andrew Vaughn $7 million, like instead of taking a high school player. Like I, I get it. And I get it from, you know, it's easy for me to say like, oh, pay $7 million for this like high upside high school guy. But like, I, I don't own the team. So like, but like, yeah, like after that, like second round picks, like you should not be spending $2 million on the Gavin Sheets and the Steel Walkers of the world, right? When you could just take high schoolers instead. And, you know, we've seen it like Steel Walker isn't in the system anymore, obviously, but Steel Walker is a 22 year old junior that they took out of Oklahoma and they love the hit tool and you know he's super safe and he's definitely gonna hit and you know I I don't think he's played above high A and he's like 25 because you know if you get hurt or you have any struggles at all like you're already 24 or 25 so they're really not as safe as like it's always like kind of build at yeah for sure I I get that side of it but uh Look, that candy team is going to be fun. A lot of sexy names in there for prospect guys. Because, like, when you, you look at a lineup, like you said, it could be. I was writing them down. I had some of this mocked up already. But, like, you got Victor Torres at catcher. You could have DJ Gladney at first. Uh, maybe Lency Delgado at second. Like, he's a former, what, top five-round pick, I believe. Jose Rodriguez could play short. Brian Ramos, Ramos at third. James Beard, Cabrera Weaver, Chase Krogman, Benjamin Bailey switching around the outfield in DH with like Anderson Comas on the bench. Like that's, there's no scrub prospect there. There's like, these are all guys that are top 30 or top 40 in some cases and uh, still have a chance and some upside. And so like, this is, this could be a team where they like trot out a lineup with no one hitting above 230. This could, or this could be a team where like a few guys really break out and like turn into top 10 prospects by the end of the year. Yeah. And I don't know how they're going to like, you know, it's not going to be a traditional five-man rotation, I don't think. But even if it was, like, 
what, three out of every five nights, like you're seeing somebody that you want to see pitch, right? I mean, for the most part, it's going to be like, if you go there, there's a very good chance that it's going to be Jared Kelly, Andrew Dahlquist, or Matthew Thompson. And, and, you know, like, I think Bailey Horn is interesting too. So yeah, like that's a pretty good, it's a, it's a good rotation, but even like on the position player side, like you said, like there's just a lot of guys to see. There's a lot of guys that are interesting on that team. And I'm just curious, you know, like we've talked about, maybe if that's what low A is going to be, then I think it's going to be awesome. Like that's going to be, you know, maybe the baseball like isn't as good, but like it's low A, so who cares, right? But, you know, you just have like more high upside guys down there instead of like 22-year-old late-round college picks that get sent there right away that really have no future. Um, So it'll it'll be interesting. Question I have for you, like, you know, just... You know, with rookie ball, rookie ball is not going to start right away, and and the Sox will leave some guys back. Like there will be some guys that are in extended spring or whatever. You know, like they had they had another high school pick two years ago that like Logan Glass. Like obviously he's not in Canny, so he's back, and probably a lot of their DSL guys will be there. Like my guess is the Tatis brother will be in Arizona, but my guess is like with COVID, it sounds like you know, Getz said that he doesn't see like many promotions happening. So these are pretty much like the teams, like barring somebody getting called to the majors. So I wonder if like they just take the July draft and that's basically your rookie ball team other than, you know, like if they take a college starter in the first round, maybe that guy goes right to Winston or something. But maybe that's just like your rookie ball team mixed in with like the rest of your guys there. And then that's just like how they play this kind of. Yeah, it's very possible. I, I I don't even know the extent of the guys who retired or got cut or whatever yet. We'll see how that plays out. But there may not be all that many left from, you know, looking at the names we've gone through. And, like, there's some guys for sure. But, you know, really, there's not going to be a ton of guys left. So I, at that point, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think you might have a few on standby for Kannapolis that can maybe, like, I don't know how they're going to – I mean, this is all – speculation because like you said with the COVID stuff and I feel like we should at least mention this like how they're going to handle that like did you mention to me uh before we started the show that they're going to be in hotels instead of host families yeah I think well I don't know like how long that is but yeah like I know for a fact like the guys reported to Winston have hotel rooms at least for you know up until the fifth at least so they're in hotels right now I don't know if they're in hotels like waiting on host families but yeah, like that might be a big change. But I think I did hear somewhere from somebody that there were no host families. So yeah, that's which, that's a big change. Yeah. And that makes sense from a logistical pandemic, you know, yeah. sense. But I, I don't understand, like you said, I don't understand how they can make promotions. Like if they're going to have a forced quarantine of sorts or I, I don't, we don't know how this is going to work, right? Is it going to be like really tricky to like, oh, somebody got hurt. We need another outfielder or another catcher, probably more pressings. There's fewer guys you can play that in a pinch. You know, yeah. do you just like not have one or like? My guess is the rosters are huge. And I think what we had a text conversation about this the other day when you, you couldn't fathom having 17 pitchers on a team. And, you know, I don't, I don't disagree. I just think like, yeah, I think these rosters are going to be massive because I think you need to like be able to cover it because there's like nowhere for you to pull from. And I kind of feel like what, like if you have to pull a guy up, like, do they have to like 
quarantine? Like how many tests do they have to take before they can like join your group of players? Like I have no idea. So I'm just like happy that, you know, I think we're like 48 hours away from them, like finally being able to pull this off. Yeah, I'm excited for it for sure. This is going to be uh, you know, a long time coming and, and we'll have some new information, right? Like we've kind of been dealing with largely the same information as guys for 20 months or whatever. So. Absolutely. I will, you know, I guess one last thing, probably, you know, one guy we haven't talked about that's in our top 10 is Norhe Vera. Um, all indications are that he's like still in the Dominican. He's probably going to be in the Dominican. It's unfortunate because what he's like 21 or 22, like, and he would be perfect, like in that Canapolis rotation, like with those prep arms. But I think like when he was signed, you know, he still lived in the Dominican. So there's all sorts of like weird, like rules on tax, you know, law and stuff. So I think he has to stay there for now. Whereas Cespedes is stateside because he had established residency in Florida already. So I think that's the difference. So, you know, I think it's probably a little bit unfortunate, but you know, as long as they can get him innings in the DSL, I don't see any reason why he can't finish like next year in Birmingham potentially because I think he's that advanced. So, you know, it's, it's not a huge deal, but it's, you know, it's a guy you'd like to see stateside. Yeah. He's really the one, the one miss from the group where we're not going to see him somewhere, but I think, yeah, like you said, of all the guys, that's reasonable. So, uh, anything else you want to, I mean, cause we've hit every team now. Is there anything else from a wider view that, you know, we've talked about aggressive assignments. We've mentioned how it's going to be a lot of sink or swim. Like, is there anything else that stands out to you? No, I think we just need to like see a lot of guys play, you know, like we, we just like, we truly don't know. And I think like a lot of our reports with what we've done, like it's, there's a lot of overlap, right? Like we move some guys around based on like some team sources and stuff, but you just like got to see guys play. It's like a huge year for the guys in Charlotte that we talked about. Um, I mean, you're like a Blake Rutherford or a Gavin Sheets. I mean, you're you're close to the majors, and whether or not that's with the White Sox or not, I mean, you're you're in Triple A already, or you know, I finally, I guess, <laughs> right? So, yeah. But yeah, no, like other than that, I mean, you know, you could have guys come out of the woodwork and just kind of pop up. I mean, it, who who knows, right? Like usually the White Sox do a decent job of like talking about the guys that are a little bit unexpected, right? Like I think Avery Weems, like all of a sudden was talked about a whole bunch and about how his stuff was, was playing up like a lot, like in, in mini camp. And then all of a sudden he's part of the Lance Lynn trade, you know, like they're, yeah. the White Sox are pretty good about that type of stuff. Um, but they're, they're, they do play coy with, with some other stuff though. So, you know, we just gotta, we have to see, guys play baseball games but if somebody like you know if there are a few guys that like we haven't really talked about that are like good all of a sudden like nobody should be surprised by that because I think you know one I guess macro topic for like all of baseball and I think we've talked about this is like top 100 lists like people that follow those things I think within the next six months there could be crazy turnover on those lists just because like nobody's seen anybody play yeah, I think especially just just looking at just the White Sox system, the top four guys are all in the majors. I mean, and we've known that they would be graduated by our midseason 2021 rankings. So there's a vacancy in the top four spots. You know, they're kind of implied to have been filled in by the guys below. But there's a lot of uh, movement there. I, I I can't wait for the overreaction to some guy hitting 350 in a ball and everyone screaming for a promotion and 
and the logistics are going to get in the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's if that happens, I'm, Brian Ramos is my guess. So, yeah, I, I'm with that. I was I was pretty uh, excited about what he showed a couple years. And ago. he's still like 18, I think. He's really so, young. Yeah, yeah, like really, really. And that's when you. That's like an example of what I was saying a little bit with Getz. Like, you know, Getz I think has slow played some stuff like in the higher levels and look, some of that might be organizational, right? Like they were still losing a lot at the big league level and they, you know, they, they weren't as aggressive as they've been in the past, but he's been pretty aggressive with certain like international amateur guys. They've sent a lot of guys right to Arizona instead of doing the DSL. And it was a bit of a surprise, but you know, Brian Ramos was one of those guys. Lenin Sosa was another one who never even played in the DSL at all. So, you know, that's an option as well. I mean, they've got two years worth of international signings that we haven't seen. So, you know, some of those guys could be in Arizona too. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. For the record, Ramos turned 19 in March. So. Ooh, but he'll, but he's going to play. So he's going to play this entire season at 19 in low A, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, and they've done that with guys. And honestly, even some of the big leaguers, uh, eventual big leaguers struggled at that age at that level. So it's going to be a really fascinating assignment for him. Yeah, he's he's you know he I think he's probably the most likely guy out of like that group to like bust into the top ten at midseason. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think any of those guys in Canapolis probably have the most upside in that way. And like obviously we talked about the pitchers are already there, but the position players are not. So. That's the group to look for. I think that's the team to watch. If you can get MILB TV, like that's the team. You know, them and Charlotte, I think, are the ones. And maybe if you want to see Cespedes for a bit in Birmingham. But uh, I mean, I'm I'm already thinking about how many screens I can pull up on Tuesday. I don't know. Oh yeah, too insane, for sure. But... Yeah, and we haven't, <laughs> you know, we haven't talked about it like that much, and none at all today. But I mean, you know, they're. Ugh. Their number one prospect a couple months from now might be Jared Kelly, and I think he uh, might deserve some of the praise. I know you listened to the Kevin Goldstein podcast. He was very high on Jared Kelly. He was pretty universally a top 20 draft prospect last year, and high schoolers are risky, but he's uh, the least risky, I guess. Make, it makes sense like with, with the profile that he already has. I mean, that's plus-plus fastball, plus-plus change, you know, working on a third pitch. Like, he could be you know, pretty good in low A. So that's uh that's a high schooler that could move faster than most high school righties. Yeah, I'm excited. So I'm sure we could go on and on. Let's uh let's cut it off here before we just speculate ourselves to death. But um definitely gonna be uh some fun stuff and I'm sure next time there's a podcast, I probably won't be on it, but with you and Mike, I'm excited to hear some early reactions from the return of minor league baseball. I can't wait. Oh yeah, for sure. He'll he'll be he'll be very exuberant, I'm sure. Like talking about the, <laughs> he'll finally have prospects to talk about. So, yeah. So I mean, I'm just to to hype our own stuff a little bit. Like I said, we will have written previews coming up in the next uh, few days. Hopefully, we'll get them up as soon as we can when we get the rosters officially for each of the full season affiliates on futuresocks.com. It's funny because we've had plans for actual minor league season for 2020 that we didn't get to do with our new website. So we have like plans we can finally uh, put into action with games happening so there'll be more frequent content on the website and we're going to work on the patreon more i know we have a decent following on our patreon page and we haven't forgotten about you guys we'll have more stuff once we got some games going 
plenty of stuff to talk about and write about and uh, I'm excited to see it play out. So thanks for joining me, James. This has been fun as always, man. All right, Dan. Good to talk to you. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.